Glencore, the trading house that made billionaires of its top executives in a record-breaking flotation four years ago, lost up to a third of its market value earlier this week as investors reacted to fears of a prolonged commodity downturn. Shares in the UK-listed company, whose rise came to symbolise the decade-long commodity boom, plunged to an all-time low after analysts at one investment bank said Glencore's equity value could be wiped out if metals prices remained at current levels. So sharply has sentiment turned against the company that bond traders have started to quote prices for Glencore's debt in a manner normally associated with low-quality junk bonds. I'm Matthew Vincent from the FT, and I'm joined by our commodities editor, Neil Hume, to take stock of the recent events. Neil, how is it that Glencore, in just a very short space of time, has fallen to earth? Well, I suppose the glib answer to that would be, I mean, it's really down to where commodity prices have gone and the collapse in those, and in particular, the ones that are most important to Glencore. So copper, for example, down 30% in the past year, it's below 5,000 a tonne. That's really pressuring the earnings. But more widely than that, the issue is that Glencores have gone into this commodity downturn with too much debt, and that's really brought it crashing back to earth. And if we look where the debt comes from, I mean, we have to conclude that a large portion of it, 30 billion of net debt, came with half of it came with the acquisition of Xtrasa in 2013. So effectively, I guess what we're saying is that Glencore seems to have made the same mistake that every other miner has made at one point during its history. It made the wrong acquisition at the wrong price, at the wrong time, and failed to pay down its debt quickly enough. And the company is now being punished for all of those sins, rightly or wrongly. But that's really why we've seen this sell-off this week. Yet Glencore pitched itself as being different. You know, This was not just a mining pure play, this was not just a trading pure play, it was both, which would give it some degree of insulation from the sort of cyclical nature of commodities. It hasn't proved to be the case. Why didn't it work? Well, I mean, that's the irony of the thing. I mean, lots of the, the things they talked about at IPO about a different model, how the marketing business would insulate earnings from mining against the vagaries of the cycle have actually worked. Um, since flotation, the marketing arm has generated sort of 2.4 billion of EBITDA on average, chucked off lots of cash. The problem's been not on the marketing side, which was what everyone was worried about at the time, whether there'd be a rogue trader or it was some sort of black box trading operation. The issue has come that they've actually got too big in mining. And again, this goes back to the extractor acquisition. They're now so big in mining that a small movement in the copper price can really affect what people think about their debt and ability to service it and also the share price. So that's the issue, really, that they're just unbalanced the business from what they gave to investors at the sort of the IPO, which was, you know, trading would offset enough of mining. But now mining so big, it just dwarfs anything the trading arm could do. And the trading arm itself this year has faced some tougher times, but it's still doing okay. But it's just not enough to outweigh the losses that are coming from virtually every commodity that we follow, all the major ones, certainly trading at levels last seen in the, the financial crisis. You mentioned the concerns about the debt, and we've seen you know, Glencore's debt uh, being traded as if it is junk status. What can Glencore do about this? How is this going to play out? Well, um, I mean, there's a couple of ways it could play out. I mean, what it's really got to do is deliver on the deleveraging plan that it's set out. They're looking to cut net debt from 30 to 20 billion. The plan has several strands, one of which they've already accomplished. They've raised two and a half billion from an equity issuance. They're going to cut 2.4 billion of dividends. They're both done. We think quite soon that they'll do uh, a deal to sell some of the output of precious metals from their copper mines. That'll bring in another billion and a half. But the real kicker here is the agriculture business. If they can persuade 
some sovereign wealth funds to buy 40% of this, say, on a valuation of 12 billion. That will go a long way, really, to paying down the debt and putting these concerns to bed. I mean, if Glencore gets its, its net debt down to 15 billion, for example, I mean, it, it could survive a copper price of well below four and a half thousand. So I think that's the issue. I mean, they could do another equity issue. I don't think that'll happen. I mean, another possibility that's been raised is that management take the company private. They'll certainly be tempted if the price were to fall any further, but it remains to be seen who would actually finance a company going private with that much debt in the current environment. That would be tough. So I think really they've got to get the cash in the bank from the disposals, in particular agriculture, and that could really put a floor under the share price. And just finally, how damaging has this been for some of the personalities involved? Ivan Glazenberg is Glencore in many people's eyes. This big fall in the share price earlier this week, I think, took him below the billionaire yes. level at, <laughs> at one point. I'm sure he's got enough to get by on, but in terms of reputation? Yeah, I think it's been quite damaging. I mean, Ivan has this reputation as, you know, the savviest trader in the room, uh, you know, a very, very smart guy who can read markets better than probably anybody else. And yet, He's made a number of, uh, I mean, it's difficult to say it's hubris, but he's made a number of sort of miscalculations three weeks before they announced the deleveraging plan. Mr. Glasenberg and his finance director were telling the world that they could manage their debt and pay a dividend. They could walk and chew gum at the same time. Yet three weeks later, there's a huge deleveraging program. They've had to admit that they got that wrong. They couldn't do it. The market was too worried about their debt position. So I think it has proved that he's fallible. And human. And I also think looking back at some of the calls made around the Extrata acquisition, I mean, I think they were probably too bold at the time doing that deal. And actually, their commodity calls have proved to be pretty bad, actually. I mean, okay, it's difficult to make those calls, but at the time of Extrata acquisition, thermal coal was 130 and it's now halved. So, um, you know, I think his reputation has been dented, but he's still a pretty formidable executive, though. And mm. wouldn't back him not to pull the company out of this. You think he can bounce back? I think he probably will recover at some point. But again, a lot depends on commodity prices. If copper, for example, falls another 10 and 15%, then you know Glencore are up against it once more. Certainly will be. Neil, for the moment, thank you very much indeed. And for more Glencore coverage, do remember to visit ft.com forward slash commodities. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., 